This is the Saxo Market Call. Daily insights on what is moving the financial markets. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It's Friday, 6th of January, 2023. And uh, hopefully the sound is coming through loud and clear. We've got some great new equipment here. And once I can get the rest of the team in the studio, they'll also have the same uh, sound level. So welcome to the new audio era of the Saxo Market Call. All right. Yesterday, very interesting day because we had jobs report out of the, or jobs data out of the U.S. The ADP private payrolls for December and the weekly claims both sh- suggesting a very tight labor market. That ADP ex- uh, especially strong plus two thirty five k versus the um, this one fifty k expected, and then the prior month's data of plus one twenty seven k revised up to one eighty two, and this being the upside down world we live in, uh, better uh, data, tighter jobs market means. Fed higher for longer means risk off. So we saw fairly ugly day in the U.S. equity market, although we all know that the main event is today in terms of the data. So perhaps uh, while the dollar reacted quite strongly, the, the equity market data was a little bit restrained. But what else are you seeing? And there's, there's an awful lot going on in China overnight as, as well, Peter. Yes, China is very much in focus, John. Um, it has been so for a couple of weeks, and it <clears throat> has really heated up here in the new year. Um, when we, if we look at the, if we look at what is happening, you can really see that there's a lot of stress in the financial and the real estate sector, and the Chinese government is doing a lot of things. Just within the last 48 hours, there's been a lot of uh, easing on uh, mortgage rates, uh, prop up and bailouts of uh, or more financial need for for the uh, the property developers in the countries, and and now they're also talking about that they may ease what is called the three red lines on property rules in uh, in in major cities. So. A lot of things going on in China. It is key, especially for all this <clears throat> commodity sector. We will follow it, and if you and if follow the news, and if you look at the slide too, you can really see all these things that have been set in motion in China is having some impact, at least on our Chinese consumer and technology baskets up seven point four percent. A lot of that has been driven by, uh, you know, fresh positive sentiment around the technology sector related to this ease of a uh, regulation on and that is now allowed to do a capital raise as we have talked about, which potentially paves the way for an IPO later this year, which would be a, a very big shift away from the policy stance just last year. And then, and you can see that if you look at the Chinese little giants, it's, it's, up, it's not up as much and that's, you know, smaller cap companies in China and maybe those or that basket is reflecting a little bit more reality than the, uh, the quick sentiment shift there in the consumer and technology basket. And, Staying with the baskets before we uh, we talk a little bit about that th- those those very strong <clears throat> U.S. labor market data we've got. I should highlight again e-commerce. So the e-commerce basket is was up yesterday again, really strong momentum, and it's all about you know the lower container freight rates, consumption remaining rather resilient, I would say, given the everything that has been thrown at uh, households in in the U.S. and uh, and Europe, and then cost-cutting exercises, really, I think, improving profitability on the line for, for e-commerce companies. I will be writing more about that in our uh, in our equity note today. And we <clears throat> we highlighted the U.S. labor market, the JOLTS uh, job openings data yesterday, showing the Powell's uh, key job indicator, how strong it is, the red-hot labor market. Yesterday, we got incredibly strong initial jobless claims and continuous claims on top of very strong ADP figures leading into today's uh, non-farm payrolls, John. And uh, if you look at the initial jobless claims and you divide it by the total employment, you sort of get an idea 
of the turnover or how many people that are you know, getting unemployed and, and asking for, for for jobless claims relative to the total pool of people that are employed. And I think there has been a, a systematic shift in this uh, time series. So you should be a little bit careful comparing it uh, far back in history, but I, I just put in the total history of the time series. And I think the key thing is that the labor market, despite everything that's been thrown at the economy, inflation, policy rates, shock last year, et cetera, the, the labor market is as tight as it was going into the pandemic. Yeah, and that and uh, what Stain mentioned on our internal call this morning, and that is that uh, a high percentage of the U.S. working population is employed in very small companies, and those aren't tracked in the headlines like the the you know the situation with layoffs at Amazon, et cetera. So it's you know the granularity is uh, is quite interesting as well, where these jobs are being created and where the market is tightest. Okay, so if we look at the reaction in the market, it was especially strong. Uh, in the U.S. dollar, but we also saw rates moving, uh, Fed being marked higher for longer. What did that look like in the yields market? You can see on slide four. So I put the, uh, the sort of the September euro dollar short-term interest rate future for next year, uh, 10, 10 basis points reaction there at the front end of the curve. But on the right, you can see that the yield inversion became more profound as the market just does not want to mark the longer end higher, presuming that as the Fed gets marked higher, it's not going to affect the longer-term picture and whether they will achieve success in fighting inflation here. And then on to a very different topic, and just something I want to bring up, because we did bring it up last time, and I thought I thought it was very correct to highlight it last time, because it did indeed prove a, a crazy circus of volatility around that December 13th, November CPI release for the U.S. So on December 13th, the November CPI data was released, and um, we had noted that there was extreme volatility around these CPI releases, and wondering when this uh, these types of shenanigans might uh uh, you know, reverse or or play out, how they would play out. And what we saw that day was quite spectacular. I put that on slide five, just the intraday highlighting of the tremendous volatility there, 4% intraday volatility, most of that around the release itself. What is driving that? That's these very short-term options that have enormous exposures. As those exposures uh, or strike prices come into view, the so-called gamma, uh, how quickly the delta is changing of the option is just exploding. So something that you risked, uh, uh, let's say a point or two on is suddenly worth 10, 20 points uh, in underlying value because the strike price is nearing or has already come into view. And there's enormous hedging flows around that. So you get an idea uh, of what this looks like just with a little contract I, I pulled out on Bloomberg there. Something like a 3940 uh, call option. So let's say it's a a weak data point, uh, ironically, that's what the market is hoping, a weak jobs data, maybe weak earnings data. It'll allow the S&P to rally and rally sharply. This is a full 100 points plus above where the market is. It costs only less than, or it costs less than one and a half points. So if that strike price comes into view with the kind of volatility we saw last time around, for example, in the CPI release, suddenly it's worth maybe 15 points uh, if we're above 39.40. Expires at the end of the day gives you an idea of why the market can move like it can. So it just it's not to say we are going to see this type of volatility. It is just to say if we get a significant surprise in terms of a you know two plus standard deviation surprise, whether it's a, a zero K non-farm payrolls or it's a plus 6% on the earnings instead of the plus 5% expected, we could see tremendous volatility intraday as these types of uh, flows come through. And then to note how isolated this is in the US equity market just to have you know keep your other indicators on uh on your screen on your radar things like the uh, what the interest rates are doing and what the FX market is doing last time around if i recall these were far more muted and far less uh sort of panicky around this type of event 
And just to show how markets uh, are, the options market can drive markets or drive the market, broadly speaking, just a reminder of the crazy situation in early 2018 with the so-called Volpocalypse. At that time, you had actually a crazy and destabilizing run-up in the market at, with rising volatility. That was due to some very strange, uh, there were some funds running these very odd but very profitable so-called ratio right strategies where they would be long the market, they would uh, buy downside protection, and then they would sell at multiples, let's say four to five times of what they were exposed to on the upside in call options. So as long as the market sort of marched higher slowly, they were making wild amounts of profit. Those upside call options expiring, worthless, and they're getting the income from the premium. Uh, and then they're totally protected on the downside with their put they'd bought. Uh, and those puts were paid for with those with those uh, higher strike call options anyway. But what happens when the market rises aggressively, then this strategy is wiped out. And then we saw the crazy vacuum and, and, and apocalyptic volatility on the downside in early 2018, just to show you how the options market can be the tail wagging the dog at times. All right, I've gone on a little bit too long there. So I want to get over to well, first of all, just the, the you can see the FX reaction on slide seven. So the dollar coming in stronger. It's looking like it wants to uh, you know, follow through stronger still as long as we get strong U.S. data uh, today. Once again, I think it, it sets the Fed higher for longer. Once again, uh, the reaction in the market and, and something like Eurodollar, you can see there on the left on slide seven, you can easily consolidate back towards that 200-day moving average around 103. There was a 38.2% retracement, a little bit below that. Maybe those two will sort of converge in, in the coming days anyway. That would be a sort of a um, just a basic consolidation of the very big move we saw off the uh, 95 plus low. And then just want to highlight on the table. So the FX board, the Chinese yuan with all this news around China really powering through stronger and even doing so overnight, despite the stronger dollar, the yen not enjoying the rising, uh, the sudden rebound in yields, as you can see there in the momentum reading <clears throat> on two days already down at minus three. And then the Norwegian Krona. Still suffering with those uh, weak oil prices of late. I think that's getting a little bit stretched here if oil prices stabilize. All right, so over to your space. Uh, obviously, with China so hot in the news mix, there's got to be a lot of implications for commodities here. Absolutely. And uh, we've also seen quite a lot of uh, volatility already at the start of the year. And uh, as I've just put in the performance table here on slide eight. And as you can see, the energy sector has been been suffering or uh, having had a, a very rough start to uh, 2023. We talked about gas prices early in the week, but it is uh, the, the focus uh, right now firmly is on, on China. Um, it's uh, current lockdowns, uh, no, not lockdowns, but virus outbreaks and uh, how, how soon we'll get on the other side and how the government is risk going to respond in terms of providing stimulus for the economy, for the economic rebound. But the uh, the energy sector, as, as I showed, is is down, and uh, we just saw Saudi Arabia overnight they lowered their official selling prices uh, both to Europe and Asia. So we are going through a soft patch, uh, a soft period with regards to demand, and that's keeping prices uh, on on the low side. But at the same time, we also had a, a bit of a technical break to the downside early in the week, and that uh, triggered some follow through selling, which is now partly being being reversed. We are seeing uh, the metal space on top, so both precious and industrial metals, uh, especially gold and copper, uh, have enjoyed a, a good start to the year. We did obviously uh, reverse lower yesterday following the strong ADP print, and that basically also means that quite a lot of the potential gold negative news in the strong report today has been priced into the market already. So uh, for now, we're still in a firm uptrend. 
look out for that 1808 below that's also around the 21 day moving average so we've been uh, we've been in uptrend now since uh, mid november and uh, as long as we stay above that then that then that uptrend is uh, is being maintained but uh, we mentioned china earlier and uh, just to put in uh, for perspective uh, copper and iron ore uh, both very china centric commodities that will enjoy a recovery especially if uh, if they get some uh, more traction on the on the property front the so-called three red lines that uh, has been mentioned, uh, property rules being relaxed. Uh, I just put in a small insert there from Bloomberg, just highlighting what these three lines are. They were basically emerging in 2020, and, and now we're seeing some of those being 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 relaxed somewhat, and that potentially could help demand going forward. So keep an eye on copper uh, today and, uh, and going forward, because we are currently stuck between the 50 and the 200-day moving average. If we do close above that 200-day moving average, the red line, on slide nine, yeah, there's a, there's potential further upside to uh, to be found, and uh, so far the, the downside has been as as we got rejected the 50 day. You can see it's trading quite uh, quite technical. So um, so we're in that uh, tight range right now. So uh, look out for breakout. All right. Then on the earnings front, we've had a couple of earnings reports. The ones that were highlighted uh, were out yesterday, Peter. But next week looks like we got the very first of the Q4 earnings reports coming in there on Friday with the big banks. Yeah, <clears throat> going through the uh, the earnings yesterday, we had the earnings from Walgreens Boots Alliance. They came out actually with a pretty optimistic revenue outlook for the uh, for the current fiscal year that will end in November uh, this year. But uh, they had uh, rising legal costs, and um, the market were paying more attention to that than the revenue outlook. I think from a long term perspective, that's the wrong interpretation. I actually think that the Walgreens Boots Alliance. Earnings were quite good, and then Con, Con, so the shares were down five percent. Conagra Brands, <clears throat> which is this food packaged food company in the U.S., did better than expected, especially on the margin side. Seventeen percent on the operating margin versus just slightly below fifteen expected by analysts. So that was a very good result. I think shares were up three percent. Just underscores that this substitution effect for packaged food and and lower uh, branded items in the U.S. consumer industries are enjoying uh, some good tailwinds there. If we look ahead, obviously it's the Friday's uh, earnings releases next week that is uh, that are the most interesting one. We have Bank of America, JP Morgan Chase, and Wells Fargo. Three giants in the banking industry, and I've highlighted one, which is JP Morgan Chase. I would say not a particular uh, straight line, rosy picture here on the on the share price. It would have been so if we talked one year ago, but it has been a pretty brutal 2022 to say the least but they you know the banking sector has rebounded in in q4 and i think it's maybe the market's slowly pricing in you know an, an improving interest uh interest um net interest margin for this industry but as you can see in the little insert here on slide 10 you can see that the analysts are expecting earnings to be down compared to a year ago again for the fourth quarter and that would make it the uh, the fifth consecutive quarter with the declining earnings for us banks you would think that you know high you know high interest rates is positive for the banks but there's this readjustment uh, phase and <clears throat> also potentially the uh, the the worsening credit condition when you when you high interest rates a lot of things moving around here and also they're making less in their investment banking division but as you can see, the consensus is expecting that banks like J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, and Wells Fargo will uh, will resume and come back to to growth starting from uh, starting in Q1 uh, this year. So we'll we'll wait and see that. But um, super important what they say about how credit are involving because if you think back in December, we had that uh, 
we had that banking conference that initially jolted the market because a lot of the banking CEOs in the US were quite negative on the economy. And we have seen these very robust figures. So I wonder whether they will change their their outlook a little bit when we when they get when we get the Q4 results on Friday and then the following week as well. And uh, John? Yeah. Just before we move to the calendar, obviously this is getting a little bit long, but I just want to uh, get your take. Uh, we we've seen the eleventh uh, unsuccessful attempt to vote a leader of the speaker, uh, leader for speaker, or position for speaker in the U.S. House. What's going on? Uh, I really don't know. I read a bit on this this morning. Uh, it's been a busy morning to trying to get track of everything, but there there's been some proposal apparently, and and he's been talking directly with these people that are constantly voting against him. I'm talking about Kevin McCarthy, who's trying to become the speaker here. There. Are, other names that are being thrown around, I, I don't know. Um, I would just say, you know, it's been it's been a couple of days. Let's let's give it into next week. It's starting to stretch beyond that. I think this becomes actually a, a market uh, moving event because it suggests a lot of uncertainty around the debt ceiling issue. It's it's mostly spectacle at this point. And what's really important again is to see if a more um, confrontational candidate emerges. If it's not Kevin McCarthy himself. Uh, or if it's some kind of compromised candidate. But I think the other direction is is only possible if you have uh, the, the Democrats involved. And I think that the Republicans will do almost anything they can to avoid that outcome. So, uh, yeah, let's let's see. That's all. Okay. And, uh, yeah, a macro calendar, it is all about the U.S. jobs data. And not just that, really, though, because we do have the ISM services survey. It's up later. Um, ex- expected to ease back a little bit. The, the big surprise was the November jump versus the further slide expected to that strong reading above, well above 55. On the employment data, so we're expecting a plus 200K. That's about in line with what we've been getting on on moving average basis. The, the prior month was a bit stronger than that. Also watch the average hourly earnings, particularly the month on month. If it is stronger than expected, I think that has the inflation implications and implications for the Fed and where it is marked. The, the latest couple of Fed officials have been out to uh, uh, job owning on the need to keep rates higher. There was a bullet presentation that does seem to want to tout the Fed's impending success in beating back inflation. So that sounded maybe marginally dovish relative to what we've become accustomed to. There are a whole passel of Fed speakers out later today, only one of whom, uh, Cook, who's on the Board of Governors, is a voter. Couple of bits and pieces, including the Canadian jobs data and the Canadian IVPMI, uh, also out today. So watch for that. It's going to be interesting. Again, I think significant surprises do risk uh, this this sort of a fat tail type volatility reaction for very short term. It can go up, it can go down, it can go both, as we saw with that uh, November CPI release back in, in mid December last month. So just be aware of this as a factor and be careful to trust the initial reaction uh, in some cases as well. That's it for today. We hope you like the new sound from the Saxon Market Call. We hope to continue to add improvements, and this is uh, one of them. So tune in tomorrow for the next Saxon Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>